one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Go. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and Peter is also in the studio and I believe that this is the very, very first time in a year that Peter and I have broadcasted in the studio together. And a special hello to Pete. Is it a year? It's less than that. Yeah, no, it's nearly a year. Wow. The pandemic started about a year ago, and the pandemic is Is still going on. It's not over. Yeah. So it's approximately four o'clock, and first up on the show, we've got Uncle Ian, and he's going to be talking about not only what land he's on, but also looking at sovereignty, and we're going to be speaking about sovereignty sovereignty and treaty. After that, we will be speaking with Uncle Stan, and Uncle Stan is going to be speaking about Rottnest Island and the the history of that island. Yeah, it's a prison. Yeah, it's a, it's a prison and it was a prison and he's going to talk about that and look at some of the historical aspects and how we can actually relate that to incarceration and genocide today. But, yeah, I'd like to um, first up welcome Uncle Ian to the program. Hello, Hi, how's it, going, Marissa? it is lovely to have you, Ian. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And um, hello to you too, Brother Pete. Okay, Ian, how are you? Now, yeah, Uncle, I'm wondering if you could start off talking about what, what land you're from and just give us a little bit of an introduction. Yeah, of course. Um, first and foremost, I just want to give a little acknowledgement. Um, I'm based in Sydney, so I'm on the land of the Gadigal people. Um, sovereignty was never ceded. Um, Aboriginal, stolen Aboriginal land wherever we were present, but uh, my my homelands and my traditional ties are with the Gomorrah people from um, yeah, well Gamilaroi people from up up in uh, northwest New South Wales. Um, but yeah, based down here in Sydney uh, in Redfern. Redfern, yeah, I just took my mask off. I must have sounded like I had a pillow over my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do I sound any different now? Oh, yeah, a little bit better. Oh, my God. I actually forgot to take my mask off. Oh, that's all right. That's the best of us. Yeah, so, Uncle, we were speaking off air actually last week about sovereignty and I was giving you a little bit of a rundown about what the show was like and I'm wondering if you could just talk about what sovereignty means to you and and just listeners know let listeners know what that means and how we can actually um, use that if you like for for treaty and, and and what does that all mean in practice well for me um, and to be honest with you most um, most first nations mob you know wherever we are we're a very diverse people so um, everyone's going to have a different answer in a way, but the common themes are always, I mean, the themes always uh, have a commonality between them. Um, so for me, and what sovereignty means for us, um, well, for me anyways in, in particular, um, is our connection to our country and our culture, first and foremost, um, our land, you know, my connection to the Gomorrah mob up back from where I'm come from, um, you know, it's um, something that cannot be explained, and a lot of First Nations mobs throughout Australia that have that same same feeling um, about it. Like, and as soon as I, you know, when I'm travelling back home the country, um, it's like a overwhelming feeling that that just overcomes me whenever I get get up that way. You know, as soon as I borderline and up there near Grindai, coming into Gomorrah country, um, straight away I get this get this feeling that I'm home. You know, I'm back on country. I'm back where my language was strong, where my connection was strong and where, where we've lived since time immemorial. Um, you know, for us, sovereignty all throughout Australia was never ceded and, and it's pretty um, offensive 
to me in particular that we actually share, uh, share sovereignty with the Crown, um, you know. These mob come from foreign seas uh, 200 and, you know, 30 odd years ago, um, come across and, you know, we have to, these days we have to share sovereignty with the Crown um, for sites that are, that are thousands and tens of thousands of years old and, and sites that we've looked after and had connection to since time immemorial. Um, so first and foremost, you know, sovereignty for me is definitely all about our con- connection to country and what that means in relation to our language and, and our practices, um, you know, and, and within saying that, I, I don't think we could ever acknowledge sovereignty with also, um, without acknowledging the previous policies that this government has, has, um, imposed on, on our First Nations roles throughout. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what sovereignty means to me and what it is to me um, thing, but it's also the right to self-determination of our own people, you know, like ever since um, the colonising force came here to our shores, um, they've been imposing their ways of being and their ways of life on, on our First Nations mob. Um, so that's definitely something that, that cannot be discussed without, you know, recognising these imposed policies um, of the government that, that's been around. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's what sovereignty means to me and what it is and how I see it. So sovereignty uh, was never ceded, Uncle. Can can you explain what that means? Well, at the end of the day, um, we never gave them any in, implicit rights for them to be, occupy our land. Like you know, that First Nations cultures, we've always been a culture of love and culture of sharing, and and we don't the land does not belong to us, and that's the first and foremost point that we need to make. You know, but but our sovereignty to this country and our, our right to be here pre, uh, pre-exists any kind of Western framework, you know what I mean? Um, and sorry, I just kind of lost my chain of thought there, Marissa. That's okay. That's okay. Because um, we I was interested to, to hear what you said about the crown, you know, the crown, yeah. the British crown. Obviously, we were colonised, weren't we, by, by Britain? Yeah, yeah, 100%. We were... We were colonised, um, you know, we were treated as less than human. And the fact that, you know, I have my own, my own grandmother and aunties and uncles, you know, um, that are also on my mum and dad's generation that were, were born into that generation where they were considered as flora and fauna, you know what I mean? So the fact that we weren't even seen as, as human beings um, until the 1967 referendum really speaks volumes to... The attitudes that um, you know these colonising force and, and people that are descendants of the colonisers had towards First Nations people, um, and and kept that attitude for many years after arriving on our shores. And that's one thing that you know, like a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of I guess non-Indigenous folk throughout, and especially a lot of um, you know first, second generation Australians who are part of immigration, like that only pre- goes back a couple of couple of decades. You know, a lot of them had these stereotypes in the head of, of, of who we are and what, what Aboriginal people are within this country um, that are just, you know, stereotypes and lies that, are, that were created to further dispossess us, you know, to further, further moralise us as human beings. Um, you know, we talk about colonisation. Colonisation isn't something that just happened. It's um, continuously happened. It's, the effects are ongoing today. You know, we only got to look at the, uh, the alarming... Um, rates uh, that our First Nation people are incarcerated within this country, you know, and old Unc there is going to be speaking next. He's, you know, like he's going to speak um, more to that point. Um, but, you know, like our sovereignty, I believe that for First Nation people to, to seek justice, uh, to get justice within our, within our country, First Nation justice, justice is not without environmental justice. You know, and environmental justice is not without climate justice. And climate justice is not without generalised justice for First Nation people in relation to all the alarming rates that we're facing as, as a people on our own country. You know, the fact that our babies are still being removed at 11 times the rate of a non-Indigenous baby within our country, you know, and then we've got uh, the rate that we're being incarcerated, the fact that we make up over 50%, you know, or, or reaching 50% of of um, incarceration rates, not only in adults, but also within, within juvenile detention. So, 
these are the effects that colonisation has had in attempt to discredit our sovereignty and our connection to our land. You know, and, and it's a very... It's not nuanced sovereignty and discussion around it, but, you know, like, the fact is that colonisation and the practices they've done is, is trying to further disconnect us to our country, and, and that's how that's how the colonisers win, you know. Um, exactly. By further removing us from our country and our homeland. You know, the policy they were brought in the place where they segregated us, they relocated us, uprooted us, they stole us, they made us falsely made us stop speaking our own language. And then, you know, so many years after the fact, you know, I, I give pay tribute to Marbo and that and, and all the fight that uh, Uncle Uncle went through, you know what I mean, to get um, Native Tile and that recognised. But a lot of that that he got through was because they were able to keep a continuous connection to their language, to their culture, and to their to their practices. But us first first contact mobs down here, you know, down down here in um, New South Wales in particular, we experienced, you know, the, a lot of the grunt that colonisation had, and and the fact that we're coming back now and going through these processes of revitalise revitalising our our languages and our practices up in country. Um, is a big credit to us and our resilience. We are as First Nations people, you know, but it also speaks volumes to the kind of people we are in terms of, you know, we forgive, but we won't forget at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Like, we can cannot hate on these people for something that their predecessors did to our predecessors, you know what I mean, and our, and our ancestors. But what we can do as First Nation people now in this contemporary world is hold their generations that are with us right now accountable for change. And that's what sovereignty is, is about us having that truth-telling yarn, you know, and not meeting each other with hostilities. It's about coming to the table, having honest yarns back with love, you know. Like, we we got to meet each other with love because at the end of the day... As much as us First Nation mob would would like the, you know, non-Indigenous folks to uproot and go back where they come from and allow us to go through our own process, that's just not something that's going to happen, you know. So we've got to think of alternative ways to coexist within within our country, um, and that starts with treaty. But treaty before treaty, it starts with the truth-telling process. You know, we have reconciliation Australia. Um, you know, something that came around from the Bring Them Home report back in, oh, it's in the late 90s. I can't remember a particular date. Yeah, late 90s, the first yeah. Sorry day. Yep. Yeah, the first Sorry Day was, you know, 26th of May, 1998, I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was in an effort, you know, that led... Uh, sorry, that was in an effort to reconcile with the past, you know, not so much us, because I, and I, I really don't like the terminology of reconciliation, because reconciliation implies that we've done something wrong as First Nation people when we haven't. All we did was exist on our own country, and then, you know, we were experienced, we experienced traumatic events that, you know, that these colonising for, forces infli- inflicted on us. Um, mm. So I don't like that. That's interesting. Like yeah, well, you look up the actual definition of recon- uh, reconcile or reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. And it's about both parties. Yeah. Sorry. I was just thinking you know? the same thing. That That's actually true. You know, they uh, when I hear the word reconciliation, I, I think about how marriage counselling, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going there sitting down with a shrink, eh? You know? <laughs> Uh, I mean, and the th- it's it's actually you know that's that a bit, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, isn't it, Uncle? Yeah, well, you know, like it's 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 pretty much suggesting that we've done something wrong, you know, and towards that towards these occupiers, and in the day we did nothing wrong, you know. The first uh, first fleet when they arrived in Port Jackson, back here, the Gadigal mob for weeks observed them. You know, they didn't see the Gadigal mob down there in Port, Port Jackson. They observed them, you know, and they they pretty much watched them. It was just like, you know, oh, what are these mob doing here? Who are they? To be honest, a lot of stories that I heard from Gadigal mob down here is that they thought they were ghosts. Ghosts? Um, yeah, they thought they were ghosts because there was this set, these pale-skinned fellas, you know, oh, coming yeah. on big canoes. Mm. Um, and they were just like, what's going on here? Why are these spirits here? Um, kind of thing. 
they observed them when they realised, oh, no, these fellas are actually, you know, they, they have a mob kind of thing, but not, not like anyone we've seen. And they, the Gadigal mob actually seen that they needed food and they needed fresh water because a lot of these, you know, the first fleet, they didn't know where to hunt. They didn't know what, what native vegetables... Um, you know, what native vegetables or fruits they eat here in Australia. They didn't know where to find the good protein. You know, they didn't know what they could really eat. So really, they were on the verge of starvation and dehydration. And then it wasn't until the Gadigal mob actually come in and, and gifted them, you know, gifted them, not even gifted them, but allowed our women, or the Gadigal women, to come in there and show them where to find it because, we all know, you know what I mean, like back in the day, us men, we'd go out and we'd be out for looking for the protein most of the day. But back home, you know, we had our women that were the gatherers of, of the vegetables and the fruits and, you know, looked after our young ones and knew where the fresh water streams and that. Well, we all did, but, you know, these, these mob that come across part of the first fleet really wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for for our Gadigal mob down here, you know, like welcoming them to, our, welcoming them to the country pretty much saying... You mob need help. We're going to give you. And going back to colonisation at the first point, it's been nothing but love coming from our First Nation mob. And now we've got to be sorry because, you know, they decimated our population. They introduced foreign diseases. Like, what do we have to be sorry about? Not say we got nothing to be sorry about. Absolutely. If anyone should be apologising. It should be the colonisers, and it should be those who benefit from past policies of the colonisers. You know, um, that's right. Yeah, and, and Uncle Ian, also we, we were discussing um, on the phone about the stolen generation, and about yep. how really um, all all Aboriginal people are members of the stolen generation, whether they were stolen or not. Because you mentioned to me that even though no one was stolen from your family, there was always that fear of being removed. Yep, exactly. So. Uh, me and my uh, my partner, we actually discussed this as well because see, her her auntie was a part of the stolen generation as well. But see, her mum, uh, sorry, her grandmother, mother, never told her grandmother that they were that they were Aboriginal. But her grandmother grew up out on Parramatta Mission, out on the river. Would grew up hunting eels, but she just thought that that's what everyone did, you know. Like, but didn't know that she was an Aboriginal woman. Um, because because of the fear of being removed, um, and I say there's there's multiple kind of it's really complex the stolen generation when we think about it, you know, because we think about Sorry Day back back on 26th of May 1998, and that was the start of the conversations around you know K Rudd given the apology in 2008. Um, exactly. That was that was a process that was undertaken, but then a lot of these. You know, our generation, my generation, a lot of fellas that I interact with and have those hard, complex yarns about Sorry Day and about Stolen Generation is a lot of them say, oh, well, we said sorry, you know? And I said, yeah, but, but it's a difference between saying something and actually being sorry and having actions that come with that. Exactly. And I think an example of what you're talking about, and correct me if, if, if you don't think this is right, but in regards to the Mile Creek Massacre, uh, and that happens every year, doesn't it, where people come together and the descendants of the people that massacred in Mile Creek, Mile Creek the, the, the descendants of the perpetrators, come together, don't they, with the descendants yeah, of do. the ones that were massacred. And that's actually yeah. quite powerful, isn't it? Oh, it's so Happens in June. Because that's, that's a closure for us, you know what I mean? Like that's not so much closure, but it's allowing us to begin that healing journey. You know, and if we, because I don't believe no one is born racist and no one is born with hate in their heart. You know, we come into this world through literally an act of love. You know, like if it was two people laying down doing what they got to do, and next minute a baby comes along, we come into this world and it comes from an act of love, coming into this world knowing nothing but love. You know, and this is something that is learnt from environment. You know, and the fact that we only make up. 3% of the overall population within Australia, you know, if we look at our number at the moment, you know, 3% of the Australian population is approximately 370,000 First Nation people throughout our country. Going from what we used to be prior to colonisation where we had, you know, over 500 language groups, over 1,000 different dialects, and in each of those dialects there was, 
numerous mobs, you know what I mean, that were, occupied, um, that were on country and, you know, a part of that number, to what we are now in today's thing is, is yeah. very, you know, very, yeah. So I feel yeah. the processes that we're going through these day and age, because I feel like a revolution is coming. You know, yeah? I feel like it. I feel like it's on the verge. Tell us about exactly. that. What What are your views on that? Well, I just feel like you know. Oh, I'm I'm a big believer in um, astrology as well. You know what I mean? Because us as First Nation people, we were the first astronomers. You know, we studied the stars for since time immemorial. That's how we kind of made uh, developed our understanding of where our place within the world. You know, the fact that. By army, he sits up there in the sky, and then we've got our dinner one dreaming story that sit up there in the sky, and all the company dreaming throughout our land, always got something to do with with the stars and the cosmos, um, you know. And then you go to other First Nations mobs on an international level. There's a lot of belief within the cosmos, and you know, like. But I actually had a yarn with my manager there, another First Nation woman, Gomoroi um, woman as well, and she's, you know, she's. She's into spiritual healing as well. So she practices it. She's got she's got power, um, and she's worked with me a bit as well on my spiritual healing uh, journey. Um, but she really gives me a lot of my information around, you know, where what kind of phase we're entering in, in, in relation to the cosmos, and and that this is now, um, you know, representing coming up on 250 years since first contact, and I'm talking about 1770, you know, when Captain Cook stopped down here in Botany Bay, um, because that's when, you know, they really got here, but back in 77, and that's approaching up on the 250-year mark, and, and that's really, you know, you look throughout history, um, around that same point on an international level, revolutions normally ha- happen around that around that mark. You know, when you say revolution, what, what do you mean by that? complete change in the way that the countries operate, you know, okay. in the way that people operate. And and we only got to look at here in Australia, for example, look at the Black Lives Matter marches that took yep. place, you know, last year. And then we look at Invasion Day every year in every national city that's growing. And now it's going out into into regional communities as well. And how we, like, Momori mob there every year, you know, like we get together and even within Moree, like that represents, you know, um, it was 188 years this year uh, since the Waterloo Waterloo Creek massacre back up home where, where they set out to decimate the mob. And I'm a direct descendant, um, you know, of one of the survivors of that massacre. Um, and, you know, we're still here, but it's also showing up on those days. And even our mob, like it was growing, growing, and now nearly everyone in our community in Moree showed up to that and. You know, it's just going to show that there was a time in our past where a lot of our mob was were worried and, and scared to be out on the streets and that because of the repercussions that non-Indigenous Australia would have had, you know, like that would have happened. But now it's that generational shift, it's that generational change. The fact that we got more educated blackfellas coming out of universities, more young fellows graduating from high school, and just our, our general engagement with non-Indigenous Australia, like there's still a long way to go. Yeah, I get you. But the, fact yeah. that, but the fact that we're, you know, this year Invasion Day here in Sydney, I was a part of the organising committee and we had, you know, between eight to 10,000 people show up during COVID. Then you go up to Brisbane and Brisbane had about fifteen to 25,000 people. Melbourne with the same numbers, 10,000 to 15,000. Then Perth, Darwin had a thousand, Perth had a thousand, South Australia did a demonstration. You know, we had all of these mobs and, you know, First Nation people coming together that may not be from those countries, but coming together with our non-Indigenous allies as well, turning up. And that's where it starts, you know. It starts by us having those yarns, but meeting them with love because we've experienced a lot of trauma as First Nation people. But exactly. we need to change how we how we express our trauma, you know, because we got our own healing to do. That's exactly we try right. And put that on other, on other more on other non indigenous non indigenous counterparts within this country, you know. And that after we have those truth telling, those healing yarns, that's when the yarns about treaty start, you know, and about really sovereignty being recognised. 
and in, in, in its truest form. Absolutely. You know, but, I'm not, but I'm not talking about federal treaty because that's that top-down approach. We can't start on the top and bring it down. Treaty has to come from, from clan groups. Clan you know, groups, where, exactly. You know, we do, if we start at clan groups, then we could start, you know, we're looking at reparations as well. All the dispossession that happened to us mob, not only with our land, but financially, you know what I mean? We're talking about the stolen wages that occurred. If the, we were allowed to even participate within the local economy back in those days, I think the financial situation of First Nation people these days would be much different. But also our financial literacy and everything else that comes with that. So it's a big yarn, that, and it's all interconnected, but it's got that underlying commonality and, and, and trope of sovereignty. And when sovereignty gets recognised, the healing starts, the journey back to country starts, the language starts back up. You know, That's right, Uncle. Real honest conversations about it all can really happen, but, but it's got to be from these grassroots, not from the government fellows, not from these hand-picked First Nations representatives, because... Once, once the First Nation mob gets up into those, le- those level of, of government, you know, we do need representation there, and I'm not saying we don't. But there's got to be consultation. That's right, and it's got to come from the grassroots. It's got to come from the community that is affecting directly. Exactly. Not from some big wigger lives down here in Sydney or lives in Canberra. That's you know, right. It's got to come from the mob that are experiencing on the ground. Uncle, I, I think we've got to stop there because we're going to be speaking with Uncle Stan and continuing oh, this discussion. But it's... Oh, look, <laughs> can we have you back on the show soon, Uncle? Yeah, I'd love to have a yarn, you know. Yeah. Like, call, me, call me back up and um, I can make time whenever you use Yeah, free, um... probably in a couple of weeks. We used to have Uncle Ray Jackson here quite a lot too on the show yeah. before he passed oh, away. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uncle Ian, thank you so much for, for coming onto the program. Oh, are you there? Yep. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on and we'll, we'll talk to you really soon. No worries. Thank you for having me, Marissa. And thanks, Pete. Enjoy the rest of your day, eh? Thanks, mate. I'll talk to you mob soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. No worries. You too. Bye. Bye. Now, I'm just going to go to a cart. Yeah, before you do that, though, um, that was that was Uncle Ian um, speaking about sovereignty and Peter's just going to go to an announcement and line up Uncle Stan. Yeah, announcement for um, subscriber drive. Great. Oops. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419-8377. And this is um, Archie Roach with um, Cannot Buy Me, Cannot Buy My Soul. Two hundred years we've been beaten down Too long on the door My dignity I'm losing here Mentally I'm on There's a system here that nails us And we're left out in the cold Oh, they took our life and liberty friends But they could not buy our soul Joe Hill died, Jacob Vara fought, Pamela Wiley down dead. If a person speaks out critically here, they could get loaded down with lead. How long can the majority wait for their story to unfold? Oh, they took their life and liberty friends, but they could not buy their soul. Well, the clever man spoke precisely Humanity said what's done The creed
Greed for greed could not proceed if our struggles to be won. For humanity is more important here than a constant quest for gold. Ah, you may take life and liberty, friends, but you cannot buy our soul. Donkey up through that gate, and he could see quite clearly he was going to meet his fate. And the powers that be could see that he could not be bought or sold. Ah, they took his life and lived their friends, but they could not buy his soul. Yeah, they took his life and lived their friends, but they. Not by his soul. Three CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the U.S. war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws. About jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant, and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on nine four one nine eight three double seven, or visit three cr dot org dot au. Three CR, the voice of dissent. So it's up to us. The people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria. Not the one you see in Queensland. Not the one you see in the Northern Territory. Because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. And you're back with the Doing Time Show and it's approximately 4.33 and we're going to be speaking with Uncle Stan soon, who's actually the father of Marion McKay. And we've actually, she's a really special woman. And we've interviewed her over many years on this show, speaking about a range of topics. And we're going to be speaking with um, Uncle Stan now about Rottnest Island and, um, and, and basically looking at the fact this Rottnest Island is off Fremantle. And it's a, pop, it, it's a popular holiday spot, but few people realise the island's dark past as a prison for Indigenous men. Hello, Uncle. Welcome to the program. You there, Uncle? Uncle Stan? You there? Oh, yeah, except you're breaking out a little bit. Can you can you try and get a... What's that? That's better. You right? A storm? Oh, are you there, Uncle? Can you hear me? Yeah, now we can. That's it. Stand in that in that spot if you can. I'm north of Perth in a little little coastal place. You're in a little coastal place. That's all right. 
Okay, so Uncle, can you just tell us what land you're from? I'm from um, I'm from just east of Perth. Well, that's where I was born, but my parents are from. Um, uh, Mum was from um, uh, Mora, which is where the Mora settlement, uh, Magumba was, where the Mora settlement was. And Dad, he was born on the river in um, in um, Guildford, just out of, uh, just uh, a little bit where Perth is. It'll be east of Perth on the Swan River. That's it. Just stand in that spot, Uncle. Yeah. And, That's uh, it. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, and uh, they, uh, both, and his siblings and that were all scattered all over over the during the thirties and forties. Like the oldest brother, Uncle Bill, Dad's oldest brother, he was he ended up uh, with the um, camel trains in the, in the desert around North Kalgoorlie and all through there. Beautiful. And he, bought, and he brought one of the old desert women back with him, and they lived in Muckumbreden, just up near where I was born. Which so, is, uh, which is about two hundred and sixty odd k's east of northeast of Perth. So, Uncle Stan, can you can you tell us then, with country like you, so, you've told us the different um, parts of Western Australia, but what's what's your actual land? Right. Well, uh, well, see, we uh, uh, um, our clan would be with uh, grandfather's uh, grandmother. I'm sorry, dad's mama. Her, her, her uh, um, clan is over the Swan River. Okay. And, um, that's that's how I get my connection there. Great. And so, can you talk to us about Rottnest Island, and, and what is it exa- What happened there? What, what's the history there, of, of what happened there? So, well, back in um, in eighteen thirties, that's when um, the the the, uh, the colonials uh, started imprisoning the Aboriginal men on the island, and and during the forties. Henry Vincent was the first superintendent there in 1839. And in 1841, they, they made an act to legalise the prison. And a lot of the men came, the first lot of men came from, um, from just south of Perth and south of and worked on the property. And they worked around there, some of them came from. And then as the years went on. You're breaking out there, Uncle. Sorry, you there? Came from and started bringing them in from uh, from uh, further out, and then they started bringing them in from way up north. In please, and there was one one black called Benjamin. He complained that he had to walk 100 kilometres uh, naked to, to, to before that put him in the prison in Rottnest, and um, and a lot of them were all what either they walked or brought down by ship. Yeah. They were chained to the neck and the arms. And the first is place that went there. Uncle Stan, you there? Yeah, sort of. You'll have to just um, see if you... I know. It's a bit difficult to hear, isn't it? So, so basically what you're saying is that the Rottenest Island... Um, was was a prison where Aboriginal men were actually um, were, were in prison. There it was like a, a settlement, was it? A so-called incarceration. Yeah. So, are you saying then that um, you know when people go camping there currently, what they don't know is that they're sleeping on the unmarked graves of at least three hundred and seventy-three yeah, yeah. Aboriginal men. Yeah, that was called Campland, which is now been um, they've got rid of all that, and um, now it's just uh, it's just gone back to uh, um. I think, Uncle Stan, this um, it's really, really difficult to hear you. Might be best. What was that? It's really difficult to hear him, Pete. Yeah. Are you there, Uncle Stan? 
when, when are you coming back? When are you coming back to Perth, Uncle? You there? We might have to call him back, Pete. You there, Uncle? Hi, Uncle. Uncle, I think what we'll do is, can you hear me? Yeah, it's just difficult because your reception isn't very good. What we'll do is, why don't I um, we we ring we call you back, um, and I can read out a little bit of introduction for listeners while that's happening. We can quickly call you back, or maybe actually, yeah, what do you think? Well, let's try one more time, Uncle. You there? Yeah, we go. We'll ring you back, Uncle. We'll ring you back, Uncle. Stay tuned. Three CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Hi, I am Mr. Silla from Iceland and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855am, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Change 
And you're back with Doing Time Show, and it's approximately 4.45. We had Uncle Stan on the line, and often what tends to happen with Aboriginal elders is that they're very, very busy travelling to different different areas of country, and um, I believe that Uncle had to go to a very remote area this afternoon, and so the reception was pretty, pretty poor from there. He had to do some... Um, some business over there. But we did hear a little bit about Rottenest Island, didn't we, Pete? And yeah. and I and we did interview Uncle Ian um, beforehand as well and he spoke about sovereignty. But I thought that we would get Uncle Stan back on um, pretty soon and perhaps we can get a landline next time and when he's back in Perth and we can possibly do that next week. But in the meantime, um, what we've got left of our show, I'm going to actually read out some um, material about Rottenest Island and um, and also just to, to say that there will be some audio material that may offend or upset, not offend, but upset some listeners. So Indigenous listeners, there may be some, some views of death. So today, Rottenest Island off Fremantle is a popular holiday spot but few people realise the island's dark past as a prison for Indigenous men. And we were speaking to Uncle about that. And if you want to get more information, you, you can actually um, listen to Radio National. There's, you can have a look at some of that archived material dating all the way back from 2000 to 2016. And there's also some, some quite horrific photos, if you Google that, and prisoners in neck chains in Windham, WA, and that's from eight, 1898 to 1906. And basically, just to explain it, the population of Rottenest Island soared as more of WA was um, colonised. And there's also some some archived material that you can obtain from the State Library of Victoria. Glenn Kasuk, who is a lecturer and Indigenous researcher at Murdoch University, was just a teenager when he first went camping with his mates on Rottenest Island in the 1980s. And he went ski di- ski di- skin diving, sorry, became um, sick and had to be airlifted back to the mainland. And he went back a year later and again became very sick. And his mum told him it was probably about time he went and spoke to his Nunga Nana. It's, it's Wurra, she said. It's Wurra. It's a sick place. So... Kasiuk, and that's spelt K-A-S-I-U-K, had camped at Tentland and for years and years Tentland was the camping area on Rotnest, the place where families and teenagers pitched their tents, had a few drinks and threw some sausages on the barbecue. And what campers didn't know was that they were sleeping on the unmarked graves of at least 373 Aboriginal men. And it's the largest deaths in custody site in Australia and the largest known burial ground of Aboriginal people. And basically, um, the doctor points out as as they're walking around the burial site, what's happening. And I believe that Radio National um, ABC researched all this, so I'll, I'll credit them for that. Um, and the doctor says that that's where they uncovered the first skeletal remains in 1971. And that's just about where the tents were, were pitched at that time when people got sick. Marissa, um, yes. Sorry, um, Uncle Stan, we were just talking to. Yeah. He is in the committee, so... Oh, he's on the committee. That's fantastic, actually, Peter. That's a good, valid point. So he's on the board there. So hopefully we can talk to him next week. I believe that he had a lot of trouble with his truck today. When we rang Uncle today um, off air, he was speaking. He was very stressed out and quite distressed, actually, because he had to fix his truck. He was in a remote area. 
and he said he'd left all his notes in council and he had to have to go and get them. But I feel that we do need to enlighten listeners, Peter, beforehand, just to give a little bit of a taste of what we're going to cover next week. Yeah. So Aboriginal prisoners um, in the courtyard of the Rottnest Island. Um, so there's photos about that. And then... Um, and we'll talk to Uncle Stan about this as well. And the inmates buried were among almost 4,000 men and boys from all across Western Australia imprisoned in the Aboriginal only. Aboriginal only. Note that, listeners. Aboriginal only. Rottnest Island. Prison between 1838 and 1931. So when the first white settlers came sailing up the Derrible Urigan or Swan River in June 1829, the local... Wajuk people, W-H-A-D-J-U-K, in case I pronounced that incorrectly, people of the Noongar Nation thought they were ancestors coming back from the spirit world to protect them. And and I believe that um, Uncle Stan was talking about that, that they thought they were ghosts. So they thought they'd been under the sea and bleached till their skin was white, says Dr Noel Nanup, elder in residence at Edith Cowan University. But the visitors didn't leave. A call was sent up river from Fremantle to the Upper Swan. Woulda, woulda, get your family and get out of harm's way. The impact on the local people was immediate. All of a sudden, um, fences were going up, people were being pushed off their land and we were marginalised, says Karen Jacobs, a Noongar woman and former member of the Rottnest Island Board. And uh, Peter, I think that's what you were talking about, that he's on that board, isn't he? Yeah, and that's a... It's the largest deficit in custody in Australia. Absolutely. So do do look up Radio National because it's quite – ABC Radio National, it's quite good. Um, Kirsty Meville probes the dark history of Rottnest Island and we'll be expanding on that discussion next week. And just another quote here. Then they started bringing in a law that passed judgment over us when we'd had our own governance structure and thousands and thousands and thousands of years – they cleared the land and blocked all the freshwater springs that ran through the city. This meant that all the medicinal plants, all the traditional vegetation and animals were all gone. Our whole hunting ground was gone within three years of settlement. And that takes us back to what Uncle Ian was saying early on in the show, wasn't it, Pete, um, and listeners as well, about um, climate justice yeah. and environmental justice. With a rapidly dwindling food supply, Noongar men started shooting any animal they saw, a sheep, a chicken, a cow, not understanding the white law that animals can belong to people. To them, animals belong to the land. The consequences of this misunderstanding were harsh. Aboriginal people started being arrested for theft, for trespassing, and it didn't take long for the prisons to fill up. Authorities could see that Aboriginal prisoners were distressed and depressed by incarceration. There is no cultural history of imprisonment in Indigenous culture. As the problem got more serious, it was decided that an Aboriginal prison would be built on Rottnest Island. Aboriginal prisoners in chains, WA. And so that's just a little bit of a... A history, and the original idea was somewhat compassionate. The prisoners could freely move around and spend some of the time hunting for food. Well, I beg to differ on that point. I mean, how can there be compassion? But then I suppose it got worse, and um, you know, they had they they actually built a a prison, and the conditions deteriorated when Henry Vincent began his long reign as superintendent. The, the Do and Time show is very based, very much based on history and looking at. First Nations history and looking at how that pertains to today. And while we're here, I wanted to also pay tribute to TJ Hickey. And TJ Hickey, his anniversary, the death of his anniversary, I believe, was last Sunday, 14th of February. And I'm, I'm sure that that was marked in, in Sydney in, in solidarity, Redfern specifically. Um, and also, just lastly, the mining of limestone and building of the prison began. Vincent was loose with his use of the cat of nine tails. Prisoners were worked ruthlessly in the heat, inadequately clothed and chained together at night. And it was quite barbaric. Prisoners were beaten and kicked. And, um, and Rottnest Island was a black prison and white playground. And there's evidence he got clips and ripped a prisoner's beard clean out. Another time he beat a, a prisoner to death with a set of keys and he would hang prisoners sentenced to death in front of lawmen who were about to return to the mainland as a warning to the community that if they break the law this is what could happen to you. And I suppose there's also, you know, the the now the the killing of um 
Mr. Lloyd and sorry, what was it, Floyd? Yeah. Yeah, Lloyd, sorry. In in um in America. Floyd. My mind went blank then. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, it's well, a Oh, sorry. Also now there's um the that prison is where people go. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Go on. There's a resort there and people are sleeping yeah. in where sleeping in chambers where people Aboriginal people got killed and, and um you know tortured basically and they don't know the history and it's it's that'll be a horrible past of course horrible like ghosts if you believe in that and all that sort of stuff well yeah i mean basically you you of course people are going to get sick because you you've got that terrible energy you've got that um all those um it's 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 you'd be getting a spiritual sickness yeah. actually being on that land and having all those unmarked graves um under a resort it's approximately four fifty five and we've got about two minutes before we're out of here fifty seven oh three minutes no it's fifty seven is it okay well we better go um <laughs> yeah we've got beyond zero coming up next we're going out with our theme song black fella white fella by the rumpy band say stay covid safe everybody and it's not over yet. And we'll be back every Monday from 4 to 5 until, um, sorry, for the Doing Time show. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. listening to a 3CR podcast. 
produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.